Well, we're going to finish up the Beatitudes today. And uh, either God has a sense of humor or he knows what he's doing. Of all passages almost in the Bible that we might do this weekend, who would have thought that it would be Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. So church, this speaks directly to you and me today. So you're going to want to turn to, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5. I've entitled the sermon, Rejoicing Through Rejection. But I want to illustrate something to you because I know some of you maybe have been up, you've been dealing with things, people have said things to you, or things are going on, and, and uh, I, I have an illustration that I want to start with. Lynn and I were blessed, uh, first part of seminary, to attend Wedgwood Baptist Church in Fort Worth. And you may know the story, this is much later after we were long gone, but September 15th, 1999, started for many teens in Fort Worth, Texas, with C at the pole. Do you remember that? Do you know about that? Where teens all over our country would gather around their flagpole on a specific Wednesday morning to do what? To state their faith by praying for their school, their fellow students, citizens, their churches, the country, and all that. So it began uh, amazingly on that Wednesday in September. Unfortunately, the day ended tragically because of a gunman. After they took a public stand for their faith in the morning, about 400 youth gathered in the sanctuary of Wedgwood Baptist Church for a see at the poll rally that night. A lot of us would do that. We would gather together with other churches and just have a great rally that night. It was then, though, that Larry Ashbrook invaded the church and killed seven people before committing suicide. Many of the youth, plus 150 adults and children that night at Wedgwood must have wondered where God was. How could this happen? Where are you, God? And yet in the weeks following the tragedy, the world found out that God had not abandoned him. Church, I want you to see God's hand at work in this tragedy, just like God's hand is going to be at work in the coming days and weeks and months in our lives and in our country's life. First thing. The devastation could have been much worse. 68 bullets were fired, yet only 14 people were hit that night. About 90 bullets remained unused. Coincidence? A bomb Ashbrook fashion blew up in the sanctuary, but most of the shrapnel went straight up into the ceiling. Not one person was touched by the explosive device. No one was injured. Though it was a pleasant night, which can be finally in September in Fort Worth, if you've ever been there in July and June and, and August. A very pleasant light, and yet no children were out on the church's playground, which happened to be the route that Ashbrook took. He walked right by the children's playground. There was a paramedic there named Art DeFord. He was at church that night, just going to church like we do, right? And he was there and able to provide immediate medical assistance to victims. Coincidence? I think not. God was at work even in the midst of tragedy. And I don't say that to be gory or to give you statistics or to trump up what happened there in Fort Worth, but just to realize in the midst of tragedy or persecution or rejection or whatever you want to call it, God is at work. We go on further after that night. The tragedy opened many doors uh, to present the gospel 
to win others to Christ because of what happened with his gunmen. What began around a school flagpole expanded as the church's pastor, some of you know his name maybe, Al Meredith was his name, and he was able, it blew my mind, one of the most famous shows at that time was Larry King Live. Anybody remember that? You young folks don't remember that, but some of us, that was a popular show, and he was allowed on national TV to give a spirited and complete presentation of the gospel to all those hearers. Wow. There was one, a husband of a church member who professed a newfound faith in Christ shortly after the shooting. Now, I don't understand how God works, but God worked through this tragedy. His wife had been praying with others for his salvation for two years, and she stated that this shooting, as tragic as it was, helped him to realize he was not in control of everything around him, and he gave, he, he placed his trust in Jesus Christ. Wow. Just think about that for a minute. You see, the pain of the persecution and attack on Christians in this Texas church has been constantly repeated since the days of Jesus and his church and Christianity. Over and over, we see it and we see it. So today, I want us to remember that Jesus warned us Thank you, David. David's got to quit quoting scripture because that's my first verse in the sermon, and he basically quoted it this morning. Maybe you heard it. But Jesus warned us that tribulation would come. Are you aware of that? And he told us how to react. It's John 16, verse 33, and Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart I have overcome the world. Now, let's put some context to that. This is right before Jesus heads to the garden. Do you remember that? Right before his betrayal, and he gives these words. In fact, he gives these words to us knowing that he was headed for the ultimate uh, persecution, wouldn't you say? Being crucified on a cross. So today we move to the end of the Beatitudes and we're taking a little turn from the previous progression. Hopefully by now you know the progression of how these have built upon one another. And now we take a little turn to something slightly different. But I want you to notice one thing, even though it's slightly different. This idea of righteousness keeps coming up. Have you noticed that? It keeps coming up and keeps coming up. So let us consider today how we can rejoice through rejection, even difficult persecution. Let's look at Matthew 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Let's pray. God, I ask you to open our hearts to this passage of Scripture, your words, Jesus, and that we would know the hope that we have in you, God, and that we would know that you are working, that you would know people are going to be saved, that we would know that, that we would know that lives are going to be changed, families are going to be altered. So we ask that even starting today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted. So I guess point number one, we should talk about persecution, right? Let's not assume everyone has the same biblical definition for that. In verse 10, we see persecution. And let me give you an overarching statement, okay? Persecution always reveals the true nature of our world is evil. Persecution, whatever it is, whatever side you're on of it or whatever the issue is, it reveals our world is just evil. In fact, I go a step further with the Bible and we would state even from the Beatitudes and all throughout the Bible, we have a grave sin problem. So let's look at the word persecution. It gives us three pictures. If you're a note taker, write fast. They're going to be three Ps. I don't know why I'm stuck on Ps today, but we're going to have a lot of Ps today. First one is pursuit. When we see this biblical word persecuted, uh, we get the idea of pursuit. Literally, uh, one way of defining the word is to pursue, follow after, drive, chase away. So we see that the persecution that Jesus is talking about is aggressive. There's pursuit involved. Second, the word pain. Another part of the definition of this word is cruelty, molestation, injury to treat evilly. So not only is this persecution aggressive, but we see that throughout history, up to my previous illustration a minute ago, and even today, there are many accounts of imprisonments, beatings, beheadings, other cruel and bloody persecution because of faith in God. So we have pursuit, we have pain, and third, we have persistence or persistency. This word, when Jesus uses it, is in the perfect tense, which is, it's not complicated, but it simply describes a past action that continues in the present. So we see how persistent it is. We see that persecution is persistent. It's unrelenting. The word is also a passive perfect participle. Say that three times real fast. I cannot. I can't even say it once. But what does that mean? It, it shows us that it could be translated, they allow themselves to be persecuted. This is an important thing to note here. It indicates continuousness. In this case, a continuous willingness to endure persecution. If it is the price of godly living. And I keep saying if. We have to keep putting that in there, okay? If the persecution has to do with righteousness, with godly living, with faith in God. So we see that. Let me illustrate with some scripture. John 15, 19. Jesus said this. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You don't need to ask a question. You don't need to post a question on social media. You don't need to uh, uh, ask a question in your Sunday school class. Send me an email. Scripture's clear. The world is going to hate you if you belong to God. He has chosen you out of the world. He has left us in the world to influence and impact. First uh, Thessalonians 3, 3, Paul gets involved. He writes this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you previously that we were going to suffer persecution. And as you know, it happened. And boy, if you know the story of Paul, you know it happened, right? Over and over and over again. Paul also, also writes to the Philippians in Philippians 1, 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, 
you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And then John writes, 1 John 3.13, so succinct. You know, John, John's doing, the Gospel of John, man, it goes on and on and on, right? But when he gets to 1 John, and then 2 John, and finally 3 John, it gets more and more concise and succinct. And in 13 of chapter 3, 1 John, he says, Do not be surprised, brothers, Christians, that the world hates you. Now, if the sermon ended there today, everybody would go, why did I come to church today, right? This guy, man, he is just negative. No, here's what I want to say. In, In that reality, I would say, but, or yet, yet, look at the context of the Beatitudes. Yet, in spite of that reality, we are to have that inward joy, contentedness, when we are rejected and persecuted. Just read the verses before. And I say, how can this be? How can makarios be a part of our life? Well, let me give you one of my very favorite verses in the New Testament. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. You got to read a long ways in 1 Corinthians to get to this verse. But I love it. It's an action verse. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work knowing that your labor in the Lord, are you ready, is not in vain. No matter how many times I get slapped down, I get back up, and I, truth is truth, right? No matter how often I get persecuted, or you do, or rejected, and, some, and the most painful is maybe not what we're seeing in our world right now. For some of us, the most painful is right in our own family, Amen. But we are steadfast, we're immovable, and we excel in the Lord's work. Okay? The promise is there, but the promise is not there for the pew potatoes. The promise is not there for the carnal Christians. The promise is not there for the wishy-washy person. You wonder if they really are a Christian, even though they're a member of your church. It's for those who excel in the Lord's work. Their labor will not be in vain. Whew! Persecution. Some of you feel like I'm persecuting you right now with this sermon, but it's not so. Let's move on to point number two. Verse 10 shows us that there's a type of persecution. We're persecuted because of righteousness. So verse 10, I would say, is more of a general persecution. But note this. James Boyce helps us when he writes this. It does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted. Did you catch that? It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This means blessed are they who are persecuted because by God's grace they are determined to live as I live. It also does not say blessed are those following religion. Sorry. Righteousness and following religion are not the same things. Amen. Martin Lloyd-Jones who wrote the big thick book on the Sermon on the Mount said this, And this was a number of decades ago. I say that there is a difference between being persecuted for righteousness' sake and being persecuted for a cause. I think that in the last 20 years, there have been men, some of them very well known, who have suffered, who have even been put in prison for religion. But they have not been suffering for righteousness' sake. This is not the thing about which our Lord is talking. So, okay, what does this mean? Simply put, here it is, are you ready? This general persecution. To be persecuted for being like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
That's what it's talking about here. Jesus said that those who are persecuted for being like him will be blessed. So we're, purchased, we're persecuted or we're rejected for righteousness. So what can we know about the origin of this persecution? Well, let's look a little further. We've got a number of P words again. Number one, pure. This verse, don't take it out of context. Don't move it over here because you didn't like that your teacher gave you a D minus or whatever. Don't do any of that. No, it's this persecution purely about what? Righteousness. Purely about that. Secondly, there's a person, if there's persecution, there's a persecutor involved. And this person or this group is not the righteous. If we're persecuted for righteousness, that means those persecuting would be the opposite of that righteousness. Number three, it can be perplexing. I've actually had a couple conversations with a couple of you this morning already about how perplexing our world is. The fact that righteousness upsets people, hear me, hopefully not your personality, but your righteousness following God, the fact that righteousness upsets people to the extent that they will persecute the righteous does not seem logical to me. Would you agree with that? And yet here we are right now in our country. Wicked people do not like righteousness. Proverbs 29, the last half of 27, how can I make a statement like that? Listen, simply, Proverbs says, the wicked detest the upright. Fourth, the persecution is predicted. If you want to hang this sermon, if you want to handle uh, an important verse, here it is for you. If, you. if you just get a couple verses out of it, get this verse for sure. It's 2 Timothy 3. 12, 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Boy, that says a lot to me. That makes me examine my life. If, if I'm not experiencing any rejection, any persecution, Lord, am I really living the godly life in Christ that you want me to live? I'm sorry, if you're holed up in your closet, chances are you're not going to get persecuted. We must, as I said earlier in my prayer, we must engage the marketplace. We must engage our society. Uh, and, and don't tell me, well, you do, I just don't know a lot of people. Listen, you're in a certain zip code, are you not? You're, you have a certain circle, and you need to influence and impact that circle. If you live a godly life, you can expect to experience rejection and persecution from the unrighteous. And as we think about these verses, though, I don't want us just to be negative negative. I don't like to preach on the negative side of, of Scripture. I like to preach, preach on the pro positive side. Amen? And there's a positive hope for us. Think about it. It means we're righteous. Think about it for a minute. We can be certain that God's Holy Spirit has been at work in our lives, in our hearts, 
turning us from our sin. Remember the progression of the Beatitudes, doing all these things in our lives, turning us from sin and our sinful ways, turning us to Jesus' way, molding us into his image. Isn't that great? To get to the point where we might be one of the people here in this verse, God is doing a work in our life and the wicked do not like it. But it's positive to me because there's that progression of moving forward. Let's move forward in the sermon. Number three, at a more specific persecution. If you read carefully over and over, you'll see there's kind of this slightly more general persecution about righteousness, and all of a sudden it changes a little in verse 11, and in verse 12, we see a more specific persecution. What does Jesus say? Let's look at it. Blessed are you when they insult you, persecute you, falsely say every kind of evil against you because of, what does it say? Me, capital M, because of Jesus. It's a more personal persecution. Did you notice that it was they, 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 they in the Beatitudes and now all of a sudden it becomes what? You, your, you, you. So we have to take a look at that. Let me say it this way. I believe the more a person honors Jesus, the more the persecutors will target that person with evil. Persecution may come in the form of physical abuse. We're seeing this all over our world. But here we see it will come more frequently. Did you see the form in which that personal, and we're experiencing that today, will come? It's going to be more frequent in the form of verbal abuse. My son flipped on one of the channels Friday and it had a picture of the Supreme Court and there were people milling and I watched these and they had the camera kind of on stuff but there was this man and this woman and they were just and then it went to someone else that came back they were still doing this doing this you know what I'm saying they were doing that they were doing that They weren't punching each other. They weren't shooting each other. But I guarantee, and thankfully the mic was not on them, but it appeared to me, and I'm not a lip reader, but they were uh, hoisting some verbal abuse towards each other. Have you experienced that? You're going to. If you're out in the world and making a difference, this week we'll experience that. Let me state it this way. A person can stand for religious ideals, for moral principles, and be accepted into our pluralistic society. Are you aware of that? If it's just morals, maybe so, or just religion. However, when a person affirms that in Christ alone we are truly related to God, the very exclusiveness of that claim subjects the person to persecution. Perhaps if I'm not experiencing rejection at all, I need, my testimony needs to be updated. It is Christ alone. It is what he has done. It's what Sam prayed about earlier. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. He's Savior. He's Lord. And that claim is very exclusive, is it not? Yes. And we might have to be open to persecution. Peter boldly preached about Jesus. Do you remember Acts chapter 4 when he's, uh, Jesus hadn't been gone that long, things are crazy, and Peter is preaching about Jesus. This is what he says in verse 12, Acts 4. 
Is it any clearer than this? There is no salvation. There is, excuse me, let me try again. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people. And we must be saved by it. He's talking about Jesus. He's preaching about Jesus. In the first centuries of the Christian church, the disciples were met with emperor worship. Are you familiar with that? In fact, people were required to say, Caesar is Lord. But the early disciples and Christians, when they encountered that, they did not say that. Do you know what they said? They said, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Are we willing to do that today? No matter what the issue is, no matter what situation we're in, no matter how difficult or even threatened we might feel. I hope so. I pray that if, if persecution gets to that point, that I will say, Jesus is Lord. Well, I'm going to get you if you say that. I don't care. Jesus is Lord. Say it with me, church. Jesus is Lord. Easy to do in church, but how can we do out in the marketplace? Well, you know, our, our world today is kind of messed up. There's issues of nationalism. There's issues of secularism, relativism, materialism, and they all confront us. And I, my prayer is that may we be as clear as our Christian predecessors. And we can be clear. Do you know why we can be clear, church? It's not because we're smarter than that other guy. It's not because we have more Bible verses memorized. It's because of this. How can we be clear? Because Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. 1 Peter 2, 23. 1 Peter 2, 23. Claim this verse in your life. Let this verse impact your life. Talking about Jesus, Peter writes, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Church, we need to make this our goal. How have you been doing the past few days? I so wanted to respond to one of my high school friends. I knew better. I got on Facebook. I knew better. Oh. Did he have a string of stuff there? And then I remembered, i got to quote this verse Sunday to the folks. <laughs> so I snoozed him for 30 days and said nothing, all right? By the way, let me give you a little advice and help. I don't know of one person whose um, who's, uh, opinion has really been changed by social media. Hello? Social media mainly allows you just to feel better as you spew. So that's a free one. Let's move on to the fourth and final point today. The persecution reward. We see it in 10, for there's the kingdom of heaven. We also see it in 12. Your reward is great in heaven. So now the first part in 10 is the same re reward, if you'll look, that was promised in the first beatitude. We've covered that. I'm not going to go back and do that. But look at the second one. It says your reward. That word means wages. Your wages. You've done something. And it says your reward is great. Do you know what that word means? Great. <laughs> That's what it means. Your reward or your wages, it'll be great in heaven. I find this comforting. Do you? Do you see what the Lord is doing? Even in the midst of persecution or tragedy or rejection, the Lord is at work. 
And note in verse 12 that we are not alone. The prophets who were before you. Do you see that phrase? They persecuted them. We are not alone, so let us not react, church, but let us rejoice. Maybe the toughest phrase in these verses is the phrase, be glad and rejoice. Did you catch that? Or did you skip over that one? Easy to do. But in the midst of persecution, we're to be glad and rejoice. Well, what does that mean? It means to skip, to jump, to leap for joy. Everyone, when you be glad and rejoice, everyone knows it. I, I've thought about skipping today, and I said, you know, I, have, I, I haven't practiced it long enough, so I should have had one of the kids come up and do it. But picture that. You can tell, you can tell when someone's skipping, right? Or you can tell when your pastor's trying to skip and it doesn't look like it. Or some of you when you dance, I've seen it. Okay, you know, just go sit down, please, all right? But it means be glad and rejoice to skip, to jump, to leap for joy. I play basketball a little bit, and I'm confident that my vertical leap is about four inches these days. So I'm not going to jump. But you know what that feels like when you are able to block someone's shot, right? It's just so evident to everyone. And this is what we're to do. Be glad and rejoice. And Jesus uses the imperative mood, which makes these words, when it says be glad and rejoice, it's more than a suggestion. It is a commandment. So I ask you today, are you glad? Are you rejoicing? It doesn't say rub it in someone's face, be ugly. It's just a a spiritual quality about us. Now, Peter, now let's remember something about Peter. Peter heard the best sermon ever, did he not? In fact, let me put it in, in my turn. Peter was on the front row in the luxury recliner. Do you know what I'm talking about? With the IMAX screen, with the surround sound. Are you good, everybody? If you haven't been, you know. You haven't experienced that. It's pretty immersive. And Peter was right there. And he, rest- he restates these final two Beatitudes for us. 1 Peter 3.14, the first part of 1 Peter 3.14, he writes this in God's Word. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Is that not just what Jesus said? It is. 1 Peter 4.12-14. through 14. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy. Remember, great means great. At the revelation of His glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And I say, wow, Lord, help me. Lord, help us. Oh, let us claim this. Let let us realize what's going on. So can we rejoice? I would say yes. Will we be destroyed? I would say no. We can, like the apostle Paul, stand and we can be steadfast, immovable. We can excel in the Lord's work. It will not be in vain. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We're almost done. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. 
We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. This is what we have in Christ. Remember this, church. And I don't understand God sometimes. You, you got, has anybody got God figured out completely? Just go ahead and die because you might as well go on to heaven, right? I mean, come on. You scare me when you have it all figured out. I, I, I don't have it all figured out, but yet I know this truth from Scripture, and I know this truth from personal life. God often uses persecution to perfect the believer. What I mean by that? Does it mean you're perfect? No. That means to mature, to make more complete. And so we should be ready for that, and we should receive that. Again, Peter writes, as an older man, 1 Peter 5.10, now, and this is finishing up the book in 1 Peter, now the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, are you ready? Will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you, period? No, after you have suffered a little. That's what it'll happen. So as we close, I want you to take hope. It's hard because we're closing out this, uh, th- this section, these verses, but we're also closing out the Beatitudes and, and moving on in the best sermon ever. But I want to give you some hope. I want you to remember something. I believe that the Lord Jesus himself is particularly near to us in the moment of persecution even severe persecution. And you perhaps have read about some of the saints of old who have been martyred, burned at the stake, all kinds of things, how the Lord was especially and particularly near to them in that most severe of all persecutions. And I was reminded of the Old Testament story. Don't you love the Old Testament stories? They're true, by the way. They're not allegories. Hello? They're really true. They're part of God's word. Do you remember those three young men who got thrown in the fiery furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they cranked up the heat because they weren't dying, and they cranked it up. And do you remember the comment by the wicked people looking in? There's a fourth man in the fire. And we know that was pre-incarnate. Jesus. Man, that gives me goosebumps, church, to know that I am trying to serve a God who is like that, that even in the fiery furnace will be there with me, with you. I love Charles Spurgeon, mainly because he has great quotes. (laughs) He just could turn a phrase. As you think about verses 10, 11, and 12, think about this for a moment. Here's what he said. The Lord gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. I know that's kind of older English, but think about that for a minute. He gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. What timely verses for us today. I I just marveled, and it didn't even hit me Friday until Friday night, and then Saturday, and then this morning at my office. It marveled to me that God had chosen these verses in line, not added in, but right in sync with where we were when what's going on in our country this weekend. 
However, let me close out the Beatitudes in this way. And I pray that you'll never look at them the same again, that you'll see the progression in them, and you'll realize how counterculture, how radical these words were when Jesus spoke them there still today. Let me quote Dr. Richard Halverson, Presbyterian minister who later became chaplain for the Senate or something, the House. or They need more chaplains, I think, but that's another story. Okay. <laughs> Here it is. This is what he said. Listen for the contrast. Blessed are the poor in spirit, but we say blessed are the achievers. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, but we say blessed are the self-fulfilled. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, but we say blessed are the powerful. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, but we say blessed are the unrestrained. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, but we say blessed are the manipulators. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, but we say blessed are the uninhibited. Ouch. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, but we say blessed are the strong. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, but we say blessed are the expedient. Jesus said we are blessed when persecuted for his sake. But we say, blessed are the aggressors. Wow. Let us stop and think about how radical it is to follow Jesus. And I don't mean just in 2022. I mean throughout the decades and centuries. This is not something new for us. But it's wise counsel for us. And my prayer is, as we've gone through blessed, 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 blessed. Lord, may we be blessed in this way. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that our lives would be impacted by your word and scripture. Not so that we will be more knowledgeable, but so we will be more real and we will be more equipped and we will have more wisdom to impact our world. And I pray, God, that we would see the progression that we would even see what we've seen today about how we can rejoice in rejection. And Lord, I pray for those today who are not blessed. God, I'm reminded of the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is there. God, I'm reminded that that tells us about our spiritual poverty, that we're lost. And God, I want to pray for people today who are, who are listening, who are hearing in this room, on the live stream, later when we put this onto our website. God, I pray that you will touch lives for weeks and months to come. And that people will see you either repent and believe, place your trust in Jesus, or you don't. And God, I'm so thankful for your promise that you stand ready and willing to save and to lead. So I pray today that there would be folks who would repent, turn from their ways, turn from their sin, and run to you and say, I believe, thank you for giving me faith to see this, and I place it all, all of me, in your hands, Jesus. Forgive my sin.
save my life, be my boss. Lord, may we never forget what your word says, that you demonstrated your love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. So God, I pray for that. I pray for you to continue uh, drawing, working uh, in people's lives that they might see. Lord, we know sometimes it's sudden. And sometimes, Lord, we know even from these past weeks that it's a long period of time. And finally, people come to you. So we thank you and we celebrate that. And we pray for Christians that are listening wherever they are that we would live such an engaged life that we're even rejected or persecuted because of righteousness, because of you and your work in our life. God, I'm just reminded this morning how true your word is. We can't mark out verses we don't like, like so many people do, Lord. But we know all of it is true. It's your truth. It's what you reveal to us. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.